You're listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 1125 South Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. I was um, talking with a friend the other day about church, my favorite subject, Circle of Hope. And um, she was talking about feeling too far away from God to be bothered. Um, kind of like like this, really feeling the distance from God, um, not even sure she wanted to connect or could connect. She was saying that she had too many problems, too much anger, um, too much baggage with faith, um, too many unanswered questions. Not enough time to figure it out. She barely felt welcome in her own skin and in her own life. So how could she step toward an unknowable God who seemed so far away and people who seemed sure about him? She didn't think it was for her. And she didn't think it would be authentic to act like it was for her. She was just too far away. And. I, I think this is a common feeling. I think a lot of us feel like this from time to time, that we're just too far away from God to really get close. There's too much distance, not enough motivation um, or direction to figure out how to get closer, or even why we should, or how, it, how it's going to help me to get to know God. And that this is part of why I love the story about the Magi, because they were really, really far away. Um, and not just geographically. I think they were about as far away as anybody could be from this baby savior. Because they, they were from a completely different culture, different country, different religion. They had no context for this Hebrew prophecy of God coming to save the world through a baby. No context at all. And not only are they, are they geographically, culturally, nationally, and religiously far away from the revelation of God and Jesus, but their, their, their wealth and power and education and status is just totally off the charts from this divine baby and all the prophecies surrounding him and all the other people who showed up in his life. Because, you know, as you know, this baby is born to the like the tiniest nation in the world that keeps getting dominated by other people and at that time you know God is even born through like within that tiny nation that's that's subjugated by Rome there's this unwed teenager who has this baby you really can't get um, poorer than that or more insignificant and the news of his birth is given to these stinky shepherds who are kind of like the bike messengers of society, dumpster divers. I'm not against it. Um, but we're talking about disempowered people who kind of live off the scraps that the 1% give us. And even all the prophecies about this baby are like, are, are describing him as this this thing that's going to come out of a, stump, a tree stump of a generation. 
And you know, a tree stump is like the symbol of this dead thing that's been cut off. It's, it, it is no more. It doesn't exist. And that's how God comes through this baby. The Magi, on the other hand, are they're in a totally different zone. I think they're, um, they're like the Koch brothers. They're like some of the most powerful people in the world. They were some of the most powerful people in the world at that time. Um, if you Google the most powerful people in the world, you'll get like the figureheads like Obama and Putin and the General Secretary of China and the Pope and uh, the Chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, the King of Saudi Arabia. But it's also the heads of the corporations, the owners of the wealth that run these figureheads around. And the political lobbyists and strategists, uh, strategists like the Karl Roves, um, or the Ayatollah, that elite religious class that picks the president of Iran. The Magi were, were, were like these kind of people. And so you can see the vast difference between them and their people and Jesus and his people. And so it's amazing to me that God calls to these guys um, with this star, something they would notice. God spoke their language too. They weren't too far away. They weren't unreachable, even though they were in a totally different class from the baby Jesus. Even though they possessed all this power and wealth and status that made them really identifiable to King Herod. You know, when they when they rode into town, the king knew exactly who they were. They had this they had this reputation. And I think they didn't just come as three guys. They probably came with a whole entourage that was of armed protection. And they had this like extra um, threat of their, they were known as sorcerers and magicians. So the king was really scared of them because they had this influence and he was, you know, King Herod was trying to maintain his power by creating another state between the grinding powers of Parthia and Rome. But, but as these magi are looking for another king, I think he, he gets this notion that he, his dream of maintaining his power really isn't going to come to fruit. Um, and it, it didn't. But the Magi weren't competing for Herod's power. They weren't playing politics, which is kind of astonishing to Herod and maybe to us. They were getting in touch with their, their creator. They were just coming to worship. And, and that might be my favorite part of the story that um, these guys that are so unreachable, so seemingly different from the Savior, actually kneel down when they find him. They knelt down to worship him, Matthew records. And, and kneeling was a new thing at this point. It was, it was a novel thing in history. And um, they're the first recorded people to, to like overtly worship Jesus. And I think their kneeling is powerful because it's the sign of surrender and honor and love. Surrender of all their knowledge and power and wealth and influence.
they were they were having this epiphany that they were in the presence of some, someone greater. And so they knelt down. And I cannot, I can't, I'm with Israel that they're like one of the coolest people in the New Testament because I just admire their faith. Because I, I think that they were used to knowing things, you know, and getting respect for having things figured out. But there's no way they could have this figured out. There's no way that they could explain this giant new star in the sky that points to this poor little baby. There's no way that they can explain their own honor, um, that, the, that God would reveal this to them, that God would come to them and lead them when they were so far away. I think that they can only wonder about it and worship. And that's the heart of epiphany. This revelation of God here with us, here among us, that elicits this response. It calls us to respond. And I think it calls us to respond in worship. So I think I mentioned that epiphany is this Greek word that means the manifestation. And, and it's often, um, we refer to it as the manifestation of God as this little baby to the Magi, and it also is talked about as um, the moment when Jesus is getting baptized and John hears this voice from God identifying him as God's son. That's another significant epiphany that is celebrated on this day, and people around the world do crazy things like uh, polar dipping in Russia, um, which I would never do. But um, they to to remember this baptism. There's a lot of traditions, but in the history of the church, this this holy day of Epiphany went two different directions. Um, as the church became separated during uh, a turbulent time after the fall of the the Western Roman Empire in the late four hundreds, and so the Roman Catholic Church went one way. And the Eastern Orthodox churches went another way, and, and it's still this like this fight between the Gregorian calendar and the Julian calendar. And so people celebrate on different days, and they, they celebrate Christmas on different days too. And I think, I don't really care about that, but I think it's just a tiny example of how getting manifested in the world is still not that easy for God because he has to deal with our, um, our politics and our science and even our religious traditions. And so people um, having this fight about like when Epiphany is, when Christmas is, might consider the date that the celebration should be on more important than the reason for celebration. We just have all these reasons, but it's just so easy to come up with reasons not to actually come to the manger just worship. So I'm taking, in the midst of all that, I'm taking three little lessons um, from Epiphany this year. And the first one that keeps coming to me is that I'm not too far away for God to reach me. Even when I feel like that sometimes. I don't think that God has stopped covering the distance 
to me or to any of you. Uh, he, he's usually sending me a star um, of some sort, not really a star, but, but some kind of sign. If I'm conscious enough to look for it, to look up and see it, there's usually a sign that God is with me. I think that promise that Jesus gave, seek and you shall find, is like a, a real, he was really serious about that. I think often the star isn't a wise word from a friend. Um, it's often just showing up in a spiritual discipline, like Israel was talking about even coming to this meeting. Uh, but I have to pay attention, or I might miss it. A lot, you know, what with other, all the other things in the world that kind of vie for my attention, and even, my, even the things that my own heart tells me sometimes. I have to remember that God is greater than my heart. And I think something cool about the wise men is that they were just going about their normal patterns of seeking. And God, God came into their zone. God came with a star and kind of spoke their language. They were just, they were in their zone, just looking at the sky. I think, I think that might be a sign that God is in each of our zones too. God might be showing up like exactly where we're looking. We might just have to kind of look a little bit closer. We might not have to like go to that new place or new relationship or new skill. We might just have to pay attention to what we've got. Secondly, I think that others aren't too far away for God to reach them either. Even when, even when they look like they are. We need to keep learning to relate like Jesus. And by like Jesus, I mean kind of the obvious thing that like he's, he was present at creation. Super, super powerful, all-present being. And he chooses to come to earth as this baby, this vulnerable, poor baby, um, and then to be killed by, by humans. So this is like, he went to great lengths to relate to us on our turf. And I'm not saying that we have to transform and die like that, but yes, I do think that we are called to transform and die, so to speak, to our old ways of being, so that we can love others better. And, and learn to communicate this great love. Because no one doesn't need love. And so I think that's the way that we manifest God now. Amen. We were thinking, um, at, we, a bunch of us met at James and Zoe's house this morning to talk about Circle of Hope's covenant, kind of like what holds us together at the core. And um, we were thinking about some of the bad ways of relating in the world that create walls like this. Like if the wise men were, were going to try to get to Bethlehem right now, they would come like up against a big wall and a lot of hostility in that part of the world. And this is how, this is how it is in the world. You know, like we saw at the Florida airport on Friday with the soldier who opened fire. There's a lot of pain 
there's a lot of labeling. I, I think, uh, I, I'm amazed at how we keep coming up with more and more ways to label people. Um, and people are afraid of each other. And so I, I think sometimes that the labeling is getting worse. We're gonna have to need, we're gonna need to learn to keep relating like Jesus, to cross these walls, to break down these walls that divide people. I think that's what God is doing. I think that's the whole purpose of the church, to keep breaking down these walls that divide people. And, and Paul says it really well in Ephesians, what God is doing. And I, I think this is what we're trying to do as a circle of hope, is get beyond these labels, build bridges, bring people together to demonstrate love and promote peace and justice. But let's listen to how Paul says it. Can somebody read, read this to us nice and loud? Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his blood the law of his Wired. 
not to worship our Creator. And I like this. Um, this picture is Da Vinci's adoration of the Magi seen at 0.995 times the speed of light. I don't know how they did that, but I like how it centralizes the star. <coughs> In real life, bending the knee to worship Jesus, I think, frees us to act world-changing ways. We get to submit to one another and admit when we're wrong. We get to forgive each other. We get to get over the hump of our own unreachableness. We get to work to do impossible things. I think this is what we're going for as a circle of hope. And so I think it's worth trying to organize our whole life to bend the knee to Jesus, where we get to be free to try and fail, to relate and conflict, to love and to suffer, because we're we're being drawn into into eternity by this God who has overcome death. So um, I think it's worth letting each other know that we're not we're not unreachable. We can get there too, even when we feel like we're too far away to be reached. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect tab at circleofhope.net.